uh, usually done before uh, time allows. So we may get out of here early tonight. I don't know. It's just who I am. Um, but I've asked Jennifer to come and help me because you guys will get tired of, of hearing my voice tonight. So uh, <laughs> we'll have somebody help us here tonight. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, I have a Bible here for you. First Samuel chapter 1 is where we're going to be at tonight. And, uh, you know, the Lord brought this on my heart about a week ago. I love the story of Samuel um, because it, it tells a story of a child who grows up in the church and who continues following the Lord even during his teenage years, uh, which how many of you know, I don't know if you, any of you grew up in the church and then decided to kind of go your own way, but, um, you know, I, I was that kind of kid. You know, I grew up in the church, went to church as a, as a uh, young boy with my family and um, with my grandparents. And then when I became a teenager, I kind of delved into my own ways and did my own thing, and the Lord brought me back to him, and I was so grateful for that. But uh, what's even a bigger testimony than that is somebody that grows up in the house of the Lord and who the Lord just keeps. Um, and that story is the story of Samuel. Now, we may or may not get to that tonight, but I just want to share that with you. In case we don't get there, you can continue reading and follow up on that. But we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, why don't we just start at verse 1. And then basically what I'm going to do is just interrupt from time to time, if that's okay. And we'll interject. So let's go ahead and begin. Okay. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. So he was the son of a lot of other people. Okay. Yeah. Oh, now I'm tongue twisted. Okay, so he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Okay, just a second. Just because, and I just want to relay this, I'm sure most of you know this, but just because the Bible says that he had two wives doesn't mean that it's appropriate or okay at that time to have that. However, he did have two wives. Continue. Thanks for clarifying that. Okay. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hapni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penanah, Penaniah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah... Oh, he, hold on a second. Huh? The beginning of verse 5... There's a word in there that I want you to memorize tonight because we're going to say it a couple times. Everybody say it with me on the count of three. Look at the, the, the first word in the verse five. It's but. All right, so on the count of three, we're going to say but. One, two, three. But. but. Okay, very good. All right, continue on. Okay, so but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. That would become kind of, uh, you know, something that you wouldn't really want to go worship the Lord anymore if there's somebody provoking you every year after year after year. Can you imagine knowing that you have to go and do something that's a righteous act, that's something that's called of you to do with your husband, but you know when you go and do this thing, you're going to be made fun of. You know, it's going to be a terrible trip for you because here's this woman who has all these amazing, wonderful kids and here's you, and you have nothing to show with your husband. You come, everybody sees you, you know, you're at, the, you're at the place where everybody else gathers once a year, and all these other people are going, oh, look at these beautiful little kids, and then you're left out. You're going, I don't have any kids. You, what are you looking forward to? Continue on. Okay, so 
Um, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were not moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Can you imagine now you've already been poked and prodded and interrogated by all the people around you saying, Where are your kids at? And you've got this, you know, uh, half-wife with you that's basically poking fun of you, saying, Ha-ha, I have more kids than you. We're here worshiping the Lord. Everybody loves me. And now the priest is calling you a drunkard. Can you imagine this? This, this lady is in weeping bitterness of soul, and yet, you know, this is one thing added on to her. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Let's go back here briefly and just recap what we just heard. So we have, uh, we have this husband, Elkanah, who is a man um, who has great lineage, and he has a great representation of uh, you know, the, the lineage of down from the priesthood, down from those who serve the Lord. And he comes to worship the Lord and to give a sacrifice during this time. Now, uh, what I want to describe for you real briefly is a sacrifice that he gives because it is uh, very important to understand that the offering that he's partaking in and that his family is partaking in is the peace offering or the thank offering. Um, this is not the offering that would atone for one's sin, but this is the offering that would actually uh, be shared with the community or shared with the family to just share in the peace of God, almost like Thanksgiving is for us. And so the idea here was is that um, they would take the offering to this place of worship and that as a family, they would, worship, uh, they would worship the Lord in giving of this offering and then partake together in this meal. And so you can imagine this is a very communal event. This is something where, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing thanks and you're, uh, you know, meeting one another at the dinner table and sitting down together. And you can imagine how her heart is just, again, year after year coming to this place without a child, knowing that, there, you know, she's going to be made fun of and poked fun at and all these different things that she becomes so just 
almost to a point where she just can't handle it anymore and breaks down and starts to weep and travail and cry even within the, the, uh, the temple where the priests are looking at her and you have all these other people looking at her to the point where everyone thinks that she's drunk because she's just you know, travailing in her need, in her desire. And out of this comes this amazing opportunity that she has to take um, you know, this anguish that she has inside and allow God to bring peace out of it. For some of us, we've been to that place before. We've been to the place in our lives where we've, we've just been uh, beat up and spit out and chewed up and we just have nowhere else to go and we're on our knees at our bedside going, God, I don't understand what is going on. And God's able to bring peace through that, into that situation. And I would say that each one of us in this room right now that have, have had that op- opportunity to have that happen, we can say that on the other side of that, there was great peace that we never, ever had before, even through all the other circumstances and trials. But for some of us, we desire to hold out on the other side of that peace and to hold on for our own ways and to hold on to our own uh, things. And so she was going back and forth between this anguish, trying to say, you know, if, will the child really bring me um, peace, or is it going to be the peace of knowing that God can provide? And so she comes to this point in her prayer. She says, listen, God, if you give me a child, I'm not going to keep him to myself. I'm going to give him back to you. And it's through this that I really believe that God allows her to have this child. I, of course, there's bigger plans in play here, and we'll find that out as we, go, as we continue on. But God provides this child through her anguish and, and, allows, um, and allows her to really experience this to bring peace into her life. And we're going to find out that that prepares uh, even the child Samuel to grow up in a life of peace and understanding. Let's continue on. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow... Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. What an, what an awesome opportunity that now this child has to grow up in the house of the Lord. And she's going to leave him there to grow up, to grow up in this place of, of opportunity and this place of, of drawing close to the Lord. We're going to skip through uh, chapter 2 down to verse 11 um, right now. We're going to come back to that at the end of tonight's service. So you can hold your page there. But, but go to verse 11 for me because we want to continue on from there. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. Oops, I'm sorry. 11. Then Elkanah went home to, to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Okay, there's that word again. But Elkanah, that, uh, then Elkanah went home to Ramah. One, two, three. But, but 
the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. There's these butts in there. I'm a big comic book fan. I don't know how, if you are, but there's always like the meanwhile or but or there's something else going on. And so God's got things in the works here. Although she was in anguish, God had a plan. Although, you know, his dad went home to do his own thing, but, Eli st- or, but Samuel stayed to grow up in the house of the Lord. Now we're going to hear about Eli's wicked sons. This is where the story gets a, a little bit deeper and, and a little bit better. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would, would then answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So in, in this picture, we have this opportunity where, again, we see that, that they are coming to the peace offering, and these folks are giving of the peace offering. Now let me explain the peace offering really quick, and we'll come back to that. Um, Old Testament offerings are set up like this. Every offering except the peace offering is set up in this nature. Man brings his offering, whatever it is. It depends on, you know, where you're at in the scale of society. If you can afford, uh, you know, a, a perfect lamb, then you're bringing your perfect lamb. If you can afford cattle, you're bringing that. You're bringing the best of the best to the priest. The priest would then slay it and then would present it onto God as a sacrifice. This would be part of any of the offerings of the Old Testament, except for the peace offering. The peace offering included the man being a part of that offering in this way. The idea would be is that they would take whatever the offering was to the priest. The man would then actually cut apart the offering, would give part of it to the priest. The priest would then take part of the offering, would sprinkle its blood, and the priest would then roast or, or uh, make actually part of that offering there. And then the man would take part of that offering home with his family and would boil it until all the fat was gone. See, the fat was an important part because the fat and all of that was a sweet smell. And the Bible teaches us that that portion of the offering was actually God's portion. It was his portion to smell a sweet savor onto him. And I want to go to Leviticus chapter 3 real quick and point this out to you. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to to Leviticus 3 and... uh, I just want to read you a couple verses here, and I'll, I'll read these. Leviticus three, chapter one, or uh, chapter three, verse one says, "If someone, if someone's offering is a fellowship offering, and he offers an animal from the herd, whether male or female, he is to present it before the Lord, an animal without defect. He is to lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it in the entrance to the tent of meeting." He is, not the priest, the man is supposed to. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood against the altar on all sides, from the 
from the fellowship offering, not the whole offering, just from it, part of it, from the fellowship offering, he is to bring a sacrifice made to the Lord by fire. All the fat that covers the inner parts or is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the covering of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is on the burning wood as an offering made by fire and aroma pleasing to the Lord. In chapter 7, it goes through kind of uh, some of the same things, but I want to read this to you. Chapter 7, verse 11. It says, These are the regulations for the fellowship offering. A person may present to the Lord. If he offers it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, he is to offer cakes of bread made without yeast and mixed with oil, wafers made without yeast and spread with oil, and cakes of fine flour well kneaded and mixed with oil. Along with his fellowship offering of thanksgiving, he is to present an offering with cakes of bread made with yeast. He is to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest. So the priest is going to eat it. This is his meal. He's going to be able to eat this. Who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offerings. The meat of, this, of his fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. He must leave none of it till morning. So if you can follow along with me, you bring this animal, this sacrifice, to the priest. You cut it in front of the priest. The priest takes part of it and some cakes, and that's his portion. He then burns off the fat on top of the altar. That's God's portion. And you take part of it home, and you're going to boil it, and the fat that comes off of your portion is God's portion. And so you're participating, if you will, in this offering. It's, it's a communal thing. It's a, it's a thanking God for his peace among you type offering. And so that's the, the purpose of this. And we're going to go back to uh, 1 Samuel here. And we saw this happening in uh, 1 Samuel. We saw that there was actually this three-pronged fork that the priests were using to dig into the meat. Now let me uh, draw this out for you. Basically the, what this says is that the sons of Eli, they were so wicked that they would actually keep a log of whoever came in to give an offering that day. So if I came in to give my peace offering that day, I would have with me my peace offering and my cakes. And I would bring them in, and I would give my cakes and, and part of that peace offering to them to take to burn on the altar. Well, they then would know that I was in that day, right? And so I have my portion, and I take it home. The Bible says that they actually came out with this fork. They would send somebody out with a fork and would come to your house and say, okay, the priest wants more food. You didn't give enough. And so I'm going to take this fork, and I'm going to put it in this pot, and whatever comes up, well, that's what they're going to take. And, you know, instead of the person saying, oh, well, the priest can't do that, because, you know, that was, that was part of the culture, that the, the priests were kind of in control at this point. Instead of them being offended by that, they just said, well, well, hold off. Let's just wait. Let's let God's part, you know, be used. Let's let the sweet-smelling savor of the fat let God have his part, and then you can take what you want. And the priest would say, no, we want it now. We're not going to wait for God's part. We're taking our part now. And so the, the idea that these two sons of Eli were wicked men 
was not just because they were taking more than they wanted. The idea was is that they were actually stealing from the Lord. They were stealing not only from the Lord, they were stealing from the people, and they were causing the offering, the peace offering, to be null and void, to be not available, to not be a representation of what it should have been from the people of God to the Lord themselves. So what they were doing is they were actually saying to God, we don't care the stipulations or the regulations that you've put in place. We're going to do what we want to do. We're in charge now. Let's continue, uh, let's continue on. Verse 18. We can all say it together. First, but. first word, but. Thank you. Okay, but. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to... Th- to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. So we talked about how there's always a but. There's always a God's got something in the mix here. And so we have these, we have these priests, and they're going out, and they're, they're doing things that are disrupting what the Lord had put together. The Lord had this beautiful plan put together for, for, the, for the people of God. And he said, come, bring a peace offering. This will be an offering between you and me and for your families to come together. And the priest said, nope, we're going to destroy that. And so they, they literally killed the atmosphere of the opportunity that these people had to eat together. Remember, again, this, this offering was not just at the, uh, at the temple, but it was back at the home. And so you can imagine when these priests came into the home how it just destroyed everything that was going on. Secondly, we know that they uh, destroyed the offering by putting that fork in there and stealing God's portion. As God's portion was, uh, was burning up that fat, they just stole it and took it right away. And then lastly, they, they burglarized what, what God was doing. They took for themselves what really was not supposed to be for them. They took from the Lord. They took from people. They took from the children of God. And briefly, before we go on, I'm so excited because, um, you know, in John 10, 10, uh, Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, there, there, there's always a but in the plans of God. Uh, there, there may have been a time where um, mankind was perfect, Adam and Eve in the garden, and then Adam sinned, and, you know, the devil thought he won, but... God had a redemption already in plan, already in store. And he set, them, he, he set them up for an opportunity through Jesus to bring, them, to bring us back into right relationship with him. And so there's always that but opportunity. We're going to see that, how Samuel comes around in this plan of, uh, of God restoring the righteousness to Israel. So let's continue on. 
Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people in Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. But so, now the Lord declares. There's, always, there's that but again. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead. Appoint me to some priestly office so I can have some food to eat. So... Eli gets this word from the Lord by this, it doesn't even say the, the prophet's name. This guy just comes to him and says, listen, all this is going on. You need to address it. If you don't, you're going to, this is what's going to happen. You know, the, 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 the priesthood is going to be stripped from you, and God has prepared uh, someone to take that over, someone that is righteous before him. And it seems interesting to me that this comes in the last days of his life. He's had this opportunity. We know that, that his sons were alive uh, and they were ministering before uh, Samuel was even born. And so you can imagine how old they are now. And they're still doing the, the unrighteous things that they are doing. But Eli's had all this time to bring them back around, to really set the bar correctly, and he hasn't done that. And so now God presents this but to him. He says, you know, you've, you've made a mockery of, and your sons have made a mockery of what the priesthood is, but I am raising someone up to take over and that will lead the people righteously. And so that's what we're going to get to in chapter 3 here, the boy Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? All right. But now, I, gotta, I have to ask those of you that are parents. Um, I, I don't know. Have any of you experienced this before? Does your kid come to you and say, Did you call me? And, like, you didn't call him. You're like, What? I didn't call you. So I, I don't know. They, I don't have kids. But I can imagine this is such a, such a like, a... I didn't call you. What you know? And, and the Bible says that his eyes were growing so dim he can barely see. So you can imagine he's he's laying down. He's probably tired. It's been a long day. And here's this 
young whippersnapper running over to him saying, hey, did you call me? What's going on? He's like, go back to bed. I'm tired. I didn't call you. Go to sleep. So he sends him back. But Eli said, I didn't, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? My my son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Is that amazing that, you know, here's a young man that's grown up in the in this temple, in this, you know, uh, in this, like, priesthood. And he's, he's learning what happens there. But the Bible says that he did not yet know the Lord. And this is an interesting dynamic point because... There are those among us, there, there are, are those that we know who say they know the Lord um, through knowledge. You know, they've, they've understood uh, the Bible. Maybe they've read through the Bible. Maybe they come to church on Sundays. Maybe they're, you know, they do righteous things. They do the right stuff. They don't do the wrong stuff. But there's a, there's a major distinction between knowing of the Lord and knowing the Lord in your heart. In, in being able to understand and hear from him. And this is what Samuel is going to be, uh, this is where Samuel is going to know the Lord in his heart. He's going to speak to him in that innermost portion, in that inner area where, you know, only God can speak to us at. Continue on. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So now you've got this, this young boy who has come to Eli three times, so excited, said, Hey, hey, Eli, did you call me? What do you need me to do? And Eli's, you know, said to him twice, Go back, go to sleep. And the third time, Eli goes, Okay, all right, I get this now. I, oh, oh, there, yeah, that's what's happening. So Eli goes to Sam and he says, okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back to your bed, and I bet you that the Lord's going to speak to you again. And when he, sa- when he says something, you know, I want you to say, speak for your servant here. And he's going to say something to you. And so can you imagine the excitement in this little boy's, you know, mind and heart? He said, man, I'm going to go back, and God's going to speak to me. This is awesome. This is amazing. What an opportunity. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is oh, listening. Let me, let me interrupt. Do you ever notice, like, when you want to say something real important to somebody, you say their name twice? Or you say their first and last name or first and middle name? So, so God says, Samuel, Samuel, listen, I got something to tell you. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hear of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. 
Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So we have this opportunity where we see that although there's all this upheaval going on with the, uh, with the people of, of God, there's all of this evil happening amongst the priesthood. Meanwhile, Samuel is waiting for the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord to speak to him. And, and Samuel wouldn't be at a place like this unless it first started back with his mom. Being in agony, being uh, just in a place where she did not feel the peace of God. She didn't feel at peace with God when she went to offer that peace offering with her husband. She didn't feel at peace with God when her husband's other wife would irritate her and poke fun at her. She didn't feel the peace of God when she was pushed to the, to the point of exhaustion where she laid down in the temple and just weep before the Lord. She didn't know the peace of God then. She couldn't have. But she was in a place where she just laid her heart before the Lord bare. The Bible says that God responded to her, and we see how that response to her allowed her then to share with, with the children of God her son and to bring him into the temple and to set him in a place where God could speak to him and raise him up to be a mighty man. And I want to I, I do something tonight briefly uh, before we end and before we go back into worship, and that's this, that I know that each one of us as I spoke before, may have been through some type of agonizing situation. And there are some of us in this room right now that are at that place, where we are just at a place of exhaustion, where we are at a place of just feeling like, where are you at, God? Where is your peace? I haven't, I haven't been peaceful. I haven't had a peaceful night's sleep in years. God, where are you at? And there are some of you that have been reaching for that and striving and wondering, you know, how do I achieve this peace that God has for me? And we see it displayed right here that, that she, Hannah just lays out before the Lord and says, God, I, I'm not at peace, but I need to be. I need you to resolve these things in my life. I need you to, to minister to my heart. I need you to, to rearrange my thoughts in my ways, so I can better understand who you are. And so tonight, as, as we kind of go back into worship in a moment, I'm just going to ask, we're going to read through Hannah's prayer. And for those of you that need to really hear from the Lord, for those of you that really need to know the peace of God, for those of you who, who, who can't expect that through all the agony that you're going through right now, at the back end of this, that God has a plan. Remember the buts in the story. You might be going through something, but God has a plan. You might be at the, at the end of your rope, but God has a plan. You might not have any peace in your life right now, but God has a plan. Let's pray, and then let's pray through Hannah's prayer. Jennifer's going to lead us through that. Father, Lord, I pray that the words that we speak from Hannah's prayer, Lord, would 
speak to our hearts and minds. Lord, that they would shape us as a people relying on you, Father God. Lord, that they would, Lord, be an opportunity for us to know that our agony is not in vain. Lord, that we can just lay out our hearts before you. Lord, that we can use this opportunity to just grow close to you. Father, we don't have a peace offering to bring because we're out of peace. Father, we, it's, it's difficult for us to bring a sacrifice of joy because the joy just isn't there, Father God. But Lord, we know that you are capable and able to, to mend our hearts and to bring us that peace tonight, Father God. So Lord, as we play softly and as these words are spoken, Father God, Lord, let them change our hearts and minds, Father. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She was barren. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It does not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Lord, we thank you tonight. Father.